Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, this is Matt Rogers. And this is Bowen Yang. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, where communities can be disconnected, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. They believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can help build a more Connected community. Hi, this is Dr. Joy. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, where communities can be disconnected, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. They believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can help build a more connected community. Neighbor to neighbor. It takes a neighborhood. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain and make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to all of our episodes, old and new, on the Broadway Podcast Network, iTunes, and Spotify. For close to 50 years, today's guest has been lighting up stages and television screens all across the country. It's hard to think of a more perfect leading man than this guest who has been awarded two Tonys for his work in the musical theater. Those Tonys were for City of Angels and Chicago, but our guest's other incredible credits include I Love My Wife, Whose Life Is In Any Way, for Baboons Adoring the Sun, Primate, and Democracy, as well as Directing the Price and the Paul Newman-led revival of Our Town, not to mention Long Day's Journey Into Night, Antigone, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, plus on-screen appearances in The First Wives Club, The Devil Wears Prada, Who's the Boss, and The Paper Chase, just to name a few. To tell us what it was like to work with such legends as Paul Newman, Mike Nichols, Elaine May, Cy Coleman, Mary Tyler Moore, Michael Blakemore, Andre DeShield, Joanne Woodward, and so many more. Here is the smoothest, suavest, sexiest singer on Broadway, Mr. James Nodden. James, how are you today? Hi, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. So, James, I have to ask, what is it like to direct Paul Newman? Well, uh, it was interesting. Um, the way that came about was um, I worked with I had worked with Joanne in 1984 on a production of The Glass Menagerie, which we did at the Williamstown Theater Festival, and then did it again uh, sometime later uh, at the Long Wharf in New Haven. And on the last night uh, of closing at the Long Wharf, uh, I, I went in thinking, well, this has been a wonderful time to work with Joanne and Karen Allen. And uh, I guess it's over. And I walked in and Joanne said, um, Jimmy, uh, we're going to make a movie of this. And Paul is going to direct the movie. You want to be in it? <laughs> I was playing the gentleman caller. And uh, so a few months later, we we shot it out at um, Astoria, um, Kaufman Astoria uh, Studios. And Paul directed the uh, the movie that we had of the production that we had done a couple of times on the stage. Uh, the, the original director of the stage productions was Nikos Sakharopoulos, who was the uh, 
um, founder and um, our mentor uh, up at Williamstown. And so I worked with Paul, and um, that's how we, we met and got to know each other. Uh, he, he was shocked to learn that I had lived about five minutes down the road from him in Connecticut uh, for, at that point, about seven or eight years. And we became very close friends. And so for the next, well, until he died 13 years ago this September, which is hard for me to believe, oh. uh, we, Joanne and Paul and Pam and I were uh, very close. Mm-hmm. And um, we would have dinner a couple of times, maybe every week or every other week, at, either at their house or our house, or we'd go out to dinner. Um, we we played badminton. He liked to play badminton. <laughs> uh, we, we, he was very good, too, by the way. And we played, we played indoors um, with real feathered shuttlecocks. <laughs> and uh, he uh, we shot a lot of pool together. We went to the races because he was both a race car driver and also an owner of one of the IndyCar teams, um, Newman Haas Racing. And um, so one night uh, after uh, 9-11, Joanne called me up and she said, hey, Jimmy, you you know how I've, she was the artistic director at that point for a period of time of the Westport Country Playhouse. And she said, you know how I've always wanted to do a production of Our Town? And I said, yeah, you've mentioned that before. And she said, well, um, I think now, right after 9-11 would be a really good time for us, for us all to have a little our town in our, in our lives. And she said, and Paul wants to play the stage manager. And I said, what? Mm. I've been trying for 20 years. She and I had been trying for 20 years to get him to do something on the stage. And he always just said, no, no, I can't do it. I I couldn't remember the lines. She said, but he's serious and he really wants to do it. And he's already started. She said, "I, I, we talked about it and I had this copy and I walked out of the room and I came back a half an hour later and he had learned the first, the first piece, the first narration. And she said, and we wondered if maybe you'd like to direct it. So I, I said to her, Joanne, this is hard for you to probably for you to believe, but I'm probably the only American actor who has never um, seen a production of Our Town. I've never worked on a scene in an acting class from Our Town, and I've never read it. So I have a copy of it, I think, in my library. Why don't I read it tonight, and I'll call you tomorrow. And she said, okay. So I read it that night, and I called her, and I said, well... Sure, uh, you know what a delight, what a delightful project to be involved with, and I, I tried to cast it as much as I could from our town. So we had people who lived in our community or near us. Um, Jane Atkinson, who, who was a wonderful actress, uh, Jane Curtin, who lived up the road, uh, up on Route Seven, up Route Seven, a ways. Frank Converse. Uh, one of my favorite actors, and I had worked with him in The Price as well, Jeff, Jeff DeMunn. And um, then we cast the rest of it, a lot of the extras, and, and there's a huge, it's a huge company, mostly from uh, our community. Some of them were professionals, some of them uh, weren't, but worked in theater. And I remember going, to, going out to rehearsal one day, and I turned to my wife and I, at 10 o'clock as I was running out the door, and I said, just want to go on record here saying this is the most fun I've ever had going to work. 
It was really wonderful. And <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Paul Paul hadn't been on the stage in 36 or so years. And right. he's naturally a, a, a shy person. Um, it, there are lots of pictures you probably have seen of him with one or two pairs of glasses hanging off his face in one direction or another. And yeah. He always used those really um, to hide behind. Yeah. So um, I said to Joanne, I said, I, th I think we need to rehearse on a, on a stage, on a real, in a theater, because I don't think it's going to help him at all to be, you know, on a, in a room with a tape on the floor. He needs to get the feeling of being up on the stage and yeah. delivering this out. So there's a beautiful little theater called the White Barn Theater in Wilton. I think it's in Wilton, Connecticut. Uh, it was a very old, legendary theater. And um, we rehearsed there every day. And my job, I, I've kidded about this, but it's true. Paul would spend his whole time, he, he had these little, you know, grandfatherly glasses that he wore. And he'd spend his whole time kind of like this, talking, and then he'd kind of look up at the audience. And, and what it was, was basically shyness mm. and um, a real kind of discomfort. Mm. And so I, I you know, I'm, I'm, an, I'm his friend. And so I, I, I went up and I said, you know, you're hiding behind your glasses an awful lot. And it would be awfully nice if you'd share some of what you had to say with the audience. <laughs> and, he, he's, and he looked at me and he goes, yeah, I know. He said, but I'm just, I said, I, I said can I help you? What's the problem? He said, I guess I'm just afraid that I'm going to make eye contact with somebody in the audience. Oh. And I'm afraid that'll flip me out. It'll, yeah. you know, screw me up. So I said to him, well, I understand that, you know, I mean, I think we all, all of us have some awareness of that. All of us who are actors and because he's the, the stage manager and is narrating the story, telling us the story, it's all delivered to the audience. He breaks the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. And that was the part that was giving him trouble. So I said, you know, when we get into the playhouse, uh, it has a balcony and there's a facade around, you know, in front of the balcony. It's over the audience's head. But if you just look out at that, it will look to them as if you're looking and at the house and at the people. So he said, oh, that, yeah, maybe that'll work. And gradually, um, and I mean gradually, and as we've started to play, and as we moved into the theater, he, he at least had, the, had had the experience of standing on a stage and looking out over the audience, over the, the heads of, and that's um, pretty much how he did it. <laughs> That's and if incredible. you look, and if you look, we shot it, you know, for television. Right, right. And I, I happened to see it recently, and and it's really, really just a wonderful, wonderful show. And uh, and his is it's a wonderful performance, and it gets better and better and stronger and stronger as the play goes on. And I have to say, he's better on camera than he was on stage. For some reason, he just feels comfortable with that thing. Most actors, you turn the you turn the camera on them, and we all kind of free, oh, yeah. you know. But no, he was just he understood it. He felt really, really comfortable there. And if you see it, uh, I, I recommend I, re I recommend people see it because it's a wonderful piece of writing. Yeah, that Thorne Wilder did, and the production 
our production, I thought, was really handsome, and he mm-hmm. was terrific. So, yeah. It was, it was a delight. Great. It's a lovely production for our listeners. We'll make sure to post a link where you can find the movie. So, James, when did you first fall in love with theater? When did you first fall in love with the arts? I was one of those kids who always acted as a kid. Um, I remember we had a Cub Scout troop, <laughs> and um, we used to do little, you know, playlets and skits and stuff at the at the whatever they were the monthly meetings. Mm-hmm. And I remember playing uh, King Arthur pulling the sword out of the rock, you know, and I must not, I'm, you know, what are Cub Scouts, eight, nine, 10, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess I was doing stuff like that when I was a kid and I sang, but I, I didn't identify, I didn't identify myself that way because mm. I was playing sports and I played, uh, I actually was recruited to play soccer and baseball in college. Oh, wow. So I played all through school and uh, I played soccer, basketball, and baseball. And then in high school, um, I was singing in the choir mm. and they, uh, the, our choir director in my junior year offered me, uh, the, the lead role in South Pacific for the spring musical. And it was, he, 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 these musicals were a big deal in, in mm. high school. So I went to my soccer, I mean, my baseball coach, and I said to him, uh, Mr. Lauer has, uh, wants me to play the lead in, Emil de Beck, 16-year-old in, <laughs> in uh, South Pacific. Uh, he says, Jimmy, that's wonderful. This coach was a kind of a, a beloved character. Wow. He was a football, wrestling, and baseball coach, and he actually did have a nose that went like that and uh, had been broken a lot of times. <laughs> and he was a very tough guy. And um, But he thought that was really something special. He said, well, you have to do that. And I said, yeah, but I want to play baseball. He says, well... Let me talk to Bill Lauer. So Bob McKee went and talked to Bill Lauer, and they decided that they would let me do both. Somehow they would share me. Uh, what, what that literally meant was I would go to rehearsal after school and leave, have to leave rehearsal early, which would make Mr. Lauer unhappy. And then I'd get to baseball practice late, which made Mr. McKee unhappy. <laughs> but, but I did it. And they made it happen. And the next year, they did it again. And I played Billy Biglow in uh, Carousel. <laughs> and you know, awesome. you just don't, kids just aren't lucky enough to have two no, guys like that. that. Yes. doesn't happen. That just does not, because usually you have to pick one or the other. That's what, I mean, most of us had to do. Well, you know? these days, you know, for the last 10 or 20 years with these traveling teams, they make children who are at the age of six or seven before they know where their talents lie, right, right, right. choose whether they're yeah. going to play baseball or soccer. You can't do both. Right. Because right. you have to play that sport in both fall and spring. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's, we did, stupid. It, all. We did it all. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, need the variety. So incredible that you were able to, to do both and also cut your teeth on some pretty good parts along the way. I mean, so that must have definitely lit a fire to, 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 go this direction? I mean, because you went to, you went to Brown and yeah. did, what was your major when you went to undergrad? Well, I applied, in, I applied in pre-med. <laughs> okay. And so I went off to school thinking I was going to be, a, a, you know, a pre-med student. Mm-hmm. And I got there in the fall and I was on the freshman soccer. I'd been recruited to play soccer, soccer and baseball. So I was playing freshman soccer and I had a couple of friends who had gone to Brown from my high school. Who were ahead of me a year or two, mm. 
And they, they looked at me and they said, there's no way you can do both of these things. You can't be a pre-med student because you have labs and stuff in the afternoons and go to soccer practice and go to games and stuff like, you know. And so I said, well, what do I, what do I do? He said, they said, just play soccer. And if you want to be a doctor, things are starting to change now. And it, it's becoming a more liberal, uh, uh, they're being, they're being more liberal about taking uh, students with an AB degree instead of a, a BS degree. And maybe uh, if you still want to do it in your junior or senior year, you can take a couple of science courses and maybe get into a medical school. Mm. So that was the end of my medical career, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't know where I belonged. I didn't know what to do. Uh, I, uh, I wound up as an English major, but I, I actually was a political science history and economics student uh, that's called international relations. And I did that for a year or two. And finally, in the November of my junior year uh, at, at, in school, I, I was on my way to the library to study for an exam the next day. And I remembered that um, a friend of mine, a girl who, had, who went to Pembroke then, now it's all brown, uh, had told me that there was something going on in the theater that night and that I should stop by. And I have to tell you, I'd never been in the theater there. So I think probably to keep from having to go to the library to study for the exam, I said, oh, yeah, I got to go to the theater. And I walked by, the, yeah. and I walked in and they were auditioning for a show. And I, I saw her and I, and I sat down next to her and mm -hmm. we were talking and the, the director said, OK, who's next? And she, the guys, she literally did this. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. <laughs> so he said, come on, get up here and sing a song. And I go, no, 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 I'm not here to audition. And he said, um, don't be, don't be shy. Have you filled out a bio? And I went, what? He said, here, he gave me a card and a pencil. He says, write down what you've done. I said, well, I haven't done anything. I've, I've done a couple of high school shows. He said, all right, write those down. So I wrote down South Pacific and Carousel. And in the summer after my freshman year in college at home, uh, they had done a, a production in the summer of Annie Get Your Gun, and I'd done Frank Butler as well. So I said, okay, this is what I've done. And he said, okay, we'll sing one of these songs. And I said, well, I don't have any music. He said, you don't need music. This guy can play anything from any of those shows. So I got up and sang The Girl That I Marry. And he, he said, okay, here, here's a scene. Go take it outside for 10 minutes and come back. And so 10 minutes later, I came back, and he got up on the stage, and he had me read the scene. And he said, okay, come here. And he said, everybody take five. He said, you've obviously been on the stage before. What are you, a freshman? And I said, no, uh, I'm, I'm a junior. And he said, well, where the hell have you been? And I, said, <laughs> I said, I've been playing soccer and baseball. And he literally said, ah, one of those. <laughs> and I said, yeah. Yeah. So he said, look, um, <laughs> I'd like you to, I'd like to, to cast you in the show and I'd like you to play a part in it. And I said, well, you know, we're, we're in the NCAA tournament. It was November. And, oh, and wow. I said, we play till we lose. So I couldn't possibly do both at the, you know, yeah. if, if you're in rehearsal, he said, no, you're right. You couldn't do both. He said, so when soccer's over, will you come see me? So I said, sure. And off I went. And, and I didn't think about it. That right. was November, December, January, went home for Christmas, came back, I'm looking around for a course to take that will satisfy an arts requirement for graduation. 
and I'm I'm not an art. I, I'm not a graphic artist. I can't. I, I have no talent in that. And I thought maybe drama would satisfy it. So I went to find him. His name was Jim Barnhill. He's he's now 96 years old, and he still lives in Providence. Wow. And um, maybe he's older than that. And uh, I went to his office and knocked on his door. It was in the English department because they didn't even have a theater department in those days. And he opened the door and he said, ah, Jim, come on in, sit down. So we sat down in opposite each other in these two big armchairs. And this is what happened. He said to me, you know, if you wanted to do this, I think you could. And I said, well, you, you, mean, you mean for real? And he said, yeah. And I said, but uh, uh, I, I, see, I just sang you a song and, and read a two-page scene. How can you tell? But he said, because I've been doing this for 40 years. And I, you know. And I said, well, how do I get there from here? He said, you take my class. It's a, a scene study class like you'd have at the uh, actor's studio or the neighborhood playhouse. And when you graduate in a year and a half, you go to Yale Drama School. And I said, just like that? And he goes, just like that. (laughs) So the next uh, week, I started taking his class, which meant three hours every afternoon, four days a week, which is a lot of time. Wow. Yeah, that is. And he said to me, okay, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up to Pembroke and find a girl named Gail Landers. And I want you and Gail to do a scene from um, Desire Under the Elms, mm. Abby and Eben. It was a love scene. So I went up to Pembroke and I rang the bell and I found this. I asked for, at the dormitory, I asked for Gail Landers. I didn't know who she was. And down came this willowy blonde. She was a senior. I was a junior. And I said, uh, I'm Jim Norton. Jim Barnhill told me I should call you. And she went, oh, yes, yes. We're going to do Desire Under the Elms together. And I said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and we did. We rehearsed it. And we went in and we d- did a reading of it. And then he told us what to do. And we went out and we rehearsed it for a week or two. And we went back and presented it. And I looked like I came right off. I just had walked right off the soccer field. And it was 1966. And everybody in the theater was identified, uh, identifiable by the way they looked. Right. It was, everybody was very artsy. And, you know, right. Long and I looked like a big square. But yeah. <laughs> I walked, I, I, we did our scene, and it was good. And they liked it. And yeah. all of a sudden, I was accepted by this very, you know, the in crowd in the clicky group in the theater. And um, so I, he didn't tell me at the time, but I found out later that in order to get into Yale, you had to audition. So a year later, I, I prepared uh, two pieces. One of them was uh, a Paul Newman piece, uh, Chance Wayne from Sweet Bird of Youth. And then there was a Shakespeare, piece, a modern piece. And a, I can't remember what exactly it was. I think it was something from Henry VI. Uh, which I had never done. But um, anyway, I auditioned and I got in. And so I went to Yale in uh, September of 1967, uh, about five months before the Tet Offensive in Vietnam. And um, I I wrote to my draft board in Hartford, Connecticut, and said, this is where I'll be. And I sent him a copy of the 
my acceptance and a copy of the scholarship that they had given me. And uh, we'll see, you know. And and I was there two days. I w- I kind of went with like, well, we'll see how this goes, you know. Right. Yeah. And I, and I was there two days, and I went, oh, finally, I found where I belonged. Oh, that's great. So that's that's how it happened. That's incredible. It's wow. So serendipitous. I mean, like. <laughs> Yeah. What are some of the biggest lessons that you took out of your, your training that you still implement today or you still use today? I think people who go to drama school come out with probably sort of a, a love-hate relationship with the whole experience. Yeah. Or, 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 or that's at best. Yeah. Because, because they all, I think, have in common uh, the philosophy that what we're going to do is we're going to break down your bad habits. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're going to create, you know, and they're pretty good at tearing you down and breaking up whatever you know spine you have, and they're not very good at at, at giving you anything to replace it, yeah, uh, or, or to make it better. At least that was my experience. Um, but it is a cauldron, and you're in there with you know maybe twenty or twenty five other people in your class, and there were three classes. There were, it was a three year program. Yeah. So there were people in there that um, you know were very talented and who were ahead of you. And then as you got older, they were, they were behind you. But um, uh, Jill Eikenberry and Henry Winkler were in my class. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Howard was a year ahead of me, um, although he didn't stay. He, he went and got a job on Broadway pretty soon. I think it was 1776. Uh, it was sort of a who's who in the American theater working in, in the Yale Rep at that time. Definitely. Um, Jules Pfeiffer's We Bombed in New Haven. Uh, all the actors in that company were just, uh, they were, it was who's who in, in American theater. And um, so it was, it was a fascinating period. And it was 1967, 68, 69, and 70. And God knows if you remember what the culture wars were like, yeah. you know, at that time. Yeah. Let alone be a college student. And yeah. And to be in, well, when I went to college in, in, in uh, 1963, it was kind of like going to college in 1953. Things haven't changed very much. Yeah. And I and I got out of New Haven, or I got out of the drama school in 70. And then I worked in the company for a year, 71. So between 1963 and 1971, there couldn't have been greater changes in everything. Yeah. yeah. And I was and I was I was in college and in graduate school during that period of time. I mean Bobby Seale was was you know on trial in New Haven, Connecticut at that time. The Black Panther. Oh Panic. yeah. William Sloan Coffin was the um, chaplain at Yale. So it was uh, it was a fascinating period of time. Any time, yeah. Yeah. To be uh, to be a, a young person, uh, to be an artist. Uh, yeah. 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 When, when you got finished at Yale, did you go directly to New York to to begin auditioning, or, or what was the post graduation life like? Well, um, I was a, I was a, I was married, and I and I was a parent by that time. Wow! wow. I got married in in while I was in the uh, graduate school, while I was in the drama school, and I got and we had uh, uh, my son Greg at that right away. Yeah. Um, I was lucky because uh, two of us out of our class were hired into the Yale Rep. Right. Uh, Henry and I. And um, so I had a, I had a real job. I was I was made a full equity member. I wasn't I wasn't a journeyman someplace working working for sixty dollars a week, you yeah. know, which I couldn't have done. 
No, yeah. well, not with a kid. I mean, you got a, a wife and a you got a wife and a kid. Yeah. Of course, you know the rent we were paying in those days was like 110 bucks a month <laughs> for a nice two bedroom apartment. You know, around the corner from the university, in you know, in a right. house. So I worked in the company for that summer and the next uh, winter. And uh, in March, February, March, I was I was in, I was in a, one of the worst productions of the Scottish play that's ever been done. Wait, why, 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 why was it so bad? It was terrible. It was just awful. It, it, it was, we all knew it was bad. And Clive Barnes wrote a scathing review of it oh. and didn't hurt, it didn't hurt us. It, he handed it all right to the director who was Robert Brewstein, who had been the producer and yeah. critic. And was, but between you and me was not a very gifted director. Yeah. To put it mildly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I got a call from I, I had made I had made I had been cast pretty well that year and I and I'd gotten some a lot of agents had called and there was a one agent who uh, and and I had a friend who was in the business who would say no no not him not him not him and then I said well I got a call from a guy named Milton Goldman at IFA and they went that's the one oh Milton Goldman also handled. Richard Burton and Liz Taylor and people like oh that. Oh my God! Oh, oh, he was oh. he was a big time agent, and Shit. Uh, so I had an agent, and he called and he said, um, "There's going to be a production in New York, um, starring Robert Ryan and Geraldine Fitzgerald, and Stacy Keach of Long Day's Journey into Night, directed by Arvin Brown, who was the artistic director of The Long Wharf in New Haven." And um, they're looking to cast somebody for as Edmund. Anyway, I got the job. And um, I left the worst production of the Scottish play on Saturday night and went to uh, the first day of rehearsal on Monday morning in New York in Long Day's Journey, which was kind of like starting at the top in New York. Mm -hmm. So we moved, while I was doing Long Day's Journey, we moved to, uh, New, uh, to Stanford to cut the commute in half. And I had a daughter, I mean, so I had another child. And then, uh, so things started happening. It was like, you know, life was really good. Did you ever have to have a survival job? I mean, because, it, you know, I, I'm, I am, I'm 40 and I have my first son who's now a year old. I can't imagine being in my 20s, having two kids and going into the arts. Did, was it, you know, did you, was there, yeah, was that an issue? I mean, did you have to like, you know. Well, every, every summer, when I, while I was in college and in graduate school, I used to drive trucks for Allied Van Lines. Oh yeah, and move, and move furniture. Yeah, I, I started out just being a fucking college kid, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lugging, but they they were always short of drivers because summertime's the moving season. So they would promote a few of us, and they made me a driver. And so I was actually loading um, and driving, um, you know, trailer trucks. Wow. And uh, <laughs> and I kept doing it because it was it was the best money I could make. Right. And um, I, you know, you worked your ass off, but you made you made enough money so you could go keep keep going, keep yeah. food on the table. The next thing, yeah. Uh, I never I never waited on table. I never had a after I started working, after I graduated from right. Enjoy school, the we started work two weeks later, and I've been working lucky enough to be God able to bless. My God, at, yeah. So w when you were starting out, and, you're, and there's you know there's Geraldine Page, and then Geraldine Fitzgerald, and Robert Ryan. Did you ever have like a, a pinch me moment? Did you realize that you were getting another education in some way, seeing it like in the trenches with these geniuses? 
Well, uh, I was very much aware of, of how wonderful they were. Yeah. But, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, but, you know, I guess I just, uh, I, I just, it, 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 we were doing the work, you know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I was lucky. I knew I was lucky. Uh, and, and I was very happy to be doing the work. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, you, you, I, I, I loved them all. And they, they really accepted me. So mm. it, it wasn't as if uh, I didn't, I, you know. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And what, what is your process? So when, when you get a role, you decide to do a role, how do you begin to create your character? Is it instinctual and in rehearsal, a lot of prep work? How do you like to work? Um, I think I'm a pretty intuitive actor. Yeah. Uh, there's a funny story. Mm-hmm. We, we were working in the eighties. I spent a lot of time in a lot of summers in Williamstown. Yeah. And I, I did several plays with Austin Pendleton directing and also when he was acting sometimes, but I was doing a production of um, Tennessee Williams play title of which is just ran, run right out of my head. Uh, not one of his best known plays, but oh, View Carre. Oh, okay. But I, I, it's a wonderful play. Yeah. I was playing this character named Ty McCool, who was a strip show barker in, in New Orleans, you know, and had, finds up, winds up having this tr- tremendous, tremendous love relationship with uh, a woman who, who has cancer and mm. she was, Marsha Mason played that part, and uh, we had we were having a wonderful time. It was just it was really really terrific material to work on, and so Austin <laughs> was the director, and he he was also teaching some of the interns and and the apprentices uh, the apprentices, and I came in to rehearse one day and he looked at me and he said, Jimmy. He said, "Here's your. You didn't take your your, your script home last night. <laughs> I had this play. You know, I had. The, I think it was a French's. You know, Bucare yeah. by Dennis Swift. You um, you didn't bother to take this home last night. You know, and I went, oh, I was wondering where it was. He said, yeah, yeah. Well, you left it here. He said, and I have to say that um, when the kids who were just in this using this room uh, for the class that they just left." you basically undermined and destroyed everything that they've been being taught for the past uh, two and a half months. <laughs> I said, how did I do that? They said, well, if you look at your, at your script, there is not a word written in or a mark written in the script. Nothing is highlighted. There are no notes. There's nothing. There's no stage. Direct. There's nothing in this script, like a brand new script. All you have on it is your name. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, well, busted. I guess that's true. <laughs> and what I would say about that is um, mm-hmm. I ha- that, that's not always the way it's been. There have been times when I've, I've spent a lot of time writing stuff, notes, and, and certainly stage directions. Um, but there are other times when um, I guess I didn't feel the need to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, um, one of our teachers at Yale was uh, Bobby, the, the, the uh, Bobby Lewis, whom you guys probably know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Director and teacher. And uh, he had a system and it was all about the system. And um, 
you had to write all this stuff down and he had like eight different parts that you had to, you know, and you had to be able to articulate what the mood and the thing and the spine and the whatchamacallit were, which, you know, that, that was good. And uh, I remember doing a scene in his class and um, it went pretty well. And he said to me afterwards, he said, uh, that was very good, James. <laughs> I said, thank you. As we were walking out and he said, uh, I guess there was an emotional uh, moment in the scene. And he said, did you do a personalization of that or were you just working off the material? And I said, well, um, no, I just was working off the material, Bobby. Just imagining what it would be like to, to be in that situation. He said, oh, okay. Oh, very good, very good. <laughs> he didn't like it. <laughs> Because it wasn't his deal, you know. Yeah, it wasn't sure, part yeah, of his yeah. Yes, yeah. And he couldn't figure but, it out. Like, <laughs> but the whole the whole point is, when you need it, it's there, and you know how to do it. Yeah. But if you don't need it, and you can just work off, you know, it's fine. Yeah. The situation, yeah. then good. Yeah. That doesn't always work that way. No. It's no. 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 Now, what do you look for out of a director? What What to you is the ideal actor director relationship? And you You've been a director yourself, so yeah. 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 Well, I think you know. Ideally, I, I like. I like direction. I like a, a conversation with a director. I want him to tell me, "Am I Am I going in the right direction here? Right. Um, or do, do you need more in that direction?" Basically, I think I, I ideally, you know, he's he's an edit, he's my editor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If 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 I can have that kind of relationship with him, and he, I, I need to know if I, if if it's good, tell me it's good. And, and if it's not good, tell me what which direction do do I need to go? Do you need more of this color, or do you need too? Is that too much of that color? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I also realize that I have always been a, an actor who works from the inside out. Mm. Um, there are some people who work really from the outside in. I know how to do that, and I've had to a couple of times. Uh, for example, doing a production of um, a restoration comedy. You know, uh, yeah. I I I needed to, but you know, trying to figure out what it is that I mean, this is cliche, but, but what you're trying to figure out is uh, what's motivating this behavior. Yeah. Why is this character saying it this this way? What? Why is he choosing these words? And obviously, you can learn a lot. I mean, you, you you get to know a lot. You can figure out a lot from the words that he chooses. Why doesn't he say it this way? Well, I guess because the guy's an asshole. Yeah, you know? and he, and he wants to be a, a real prick. Yeah. So maybe that's the reason he talks like this. Mm -hmm. um, or on the other hand. Uh, as Bobby or Lewis used to say, you know, say, if the action, the intention is to get the job, right? Yeah. If, if the intention is to get the job, right. then you're going to go in and, and behave a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. If the intention is to try to intimidate somebody because you want to make them feel bad, then that's going to inform the way in which you do it. Yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting I've always found it, you know, really that kind of stuff really fascinating, and and I think that uh, I, as a director, I love. I mean, that that's fascinating, really interesting stuff too. And I didn't know if I'd be any good when I was a younger actor, and then finally I got started. I had a chance to do it, and I uh, I, I discovered that I loved it, and I uh, 
I love talking to actors and telling them um, what I think of what they're doing and how to get where they want to go and um, finding the words, you know, to do that. Right. Um, for example, in our town, uh, I, I cast this young actress named Maggie Lacey mm-hmm. uh, to play, um, what's her name? Emily, right? Yeah. Emily? Emily, Emily yeah. yeah. George and Emily, yeah. And, you know, everybody works very hard for two and a half hours in that play. And then they basically hand it off to the gal who plays uh, Emily. Mm-hmm. And she's got to bring it on home. Yeah. And um, that's a huge responsibility for that actress. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't say it to her that way, but I knew that that's what was happening. And so in, or, in order to try to make that work, I remember talking to her about this extraordinary thing that happens at the end of that play where she gets to go back for one day. She's, she's, she's up in heaven. She's dead. Mm-hmm. She's talking to the other people, up, you know, and she gets this gift to go back and see her mom and dad on one day on her 12th birthday. And so I would just remember at the time saying this phrase to, to, to Maggie, who was a wonderful actress to work with and who I think did a wonderful job. And I said to her, um, Maggie, this phrase that we hear on the radio, the wonder of it all, <laughs> well, this is what this is about. You, you, you can't imagine, it can't be big enough. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about being too big. You don't have to worry about going too far because it's just an, an insane, unimaginable thing that, that occurs when you go back and you see your mother and, and how young she looked and how beautiful she was and how that makes you feel. And we all have parents. Most of us loved one, at least one of our parents. Most of us... Most of our, the luckiest, the lucky ones of us love them both. And to be able to, if I could, if I could go back and spend a few minutes with my mother or father, just imagine what that would be like. I mean, and so I would talk to her about, about like this Mm -hmm. and her performance grew and grew and grew over the course of the rehearsals until um, and there's this wonderful line this, that, that, that Thornton Wilder wrote when she goes back and she says to the stage manager, um, does anyone ever realize? She said that, you know, that they just go on and, and they, they couldn't see me. They, they just, they don't have any idea, do they? The, about how precious life is. And the stage manager says, no, saints and poets, maybe they do some, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So to spend your time, your, your life, your work, working on moments like that is very, very, very rewarding. Hello, this is Patsy Tafis, not the young one. No, I'm 122 years old. 
right? But the boys are behind the curtain ask me to ask you for some money because, let's face it, I'm quite musical and I was a Broadway baby. So head over to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and set up a monthly donation or get your sister Bobby to do it or some assistant. And I would not say no to a pack of smokes. Thank you. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I have to say one of the things I find so so fascinating is, you know, you, particularly with you, your versatility, because, you know, you've done the classics and there's Antigone and Long Day's Journey and Tonight. And then musical comedy. I Love My Wife and, and City of Angels. And You know, it's funny. Uh, I, I've done a bunch of the the tragedies and the melodramas, and I've uh, but I've done some big silly comedies too, and I really love them. Yeah. It's so much fun. There's that element of uh, listening, mm. which you don't have as much in the other in the other genres. But that's what it's all about. You know, we're trying, we're working on trying to make this moment bam explode. We want we know where the laughs are. Working with Nichols and May was really interesting uh, for that reason. Would you tell our audience a little bit about it, about what you worked on them with? Because it's so interesting. Uh, yeah, Virginia Woolf. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? And um, Mike and Elaine Mind, M-I-N-E-D, they really did mine uh, all of the laughter in that, in that show. And so when we got to the third, it was a three-act play, and it's a long play. Yeah. And it, it it could be a grind, I think, it, without the the humor. I mean, it's dark humor. My God, is it dark humor? Sadistic, yeah, yeah. But it, it but it's there, and I think that one of the things that that I learned from that experience was, um, when it when the, when the third act finally arrived, and it gets very 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 dark, um, the audience had something left to give because. They had they'd been riding along. It, they hadn't been harangued with how important or dark this thing was, um, you know, for the first two acts. Mm-hmm. So it kind of that that was a, sort of a uh, a lesson to me. One of the the great comic directors, at least from the outside, is is Gene Sachs, um, who you got to work with on "I Love My Wife." Can you tell us a little bit about that process? Yeah, Gene was wonderful. I loved him. Uh, years later, um, like 20 years ago, he was trying to get a production uh, together. We did several readings for producers 
um, of um, bells are ringing with Twiggy and me. Mm. Oh wow! The two. She was she was pretty delightful. Um, she's not a great singer, but um, she can sing, mm-hmm. and uh, she's a, a real sweetheart. And it would have been it would have been a, a lot of fun. And we had a wonderful. He put together a wonderful company of character actors in it, and uh, I like Gene very much. In fact, he died about a couple years ago, and um, I hadn't seen him in a long time. But uh, all of a sudden, out of the blue, I started thinking about him one weekend, and it was the weekend that he died. He was in, he was in his ninety I think he was ninety or ninety two, mm-hmm. and I talked to his wife Karen afterwards, and I said, you know, I read in the paper this morning, Monday morning, that that Gene is gone, and uh, I said, and I was thinking of him all weekend, out of the blue, just you know, I, I was going to call you to, to to talk to him. Right, one of those crazy things, you know. Yeah, yeah. You see somebody, you don't think about him for a while, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. he was right there, and. He was out. I think he he, he died. He, I think he fell going out to get firewood in the wintertime. Yeah. Hey. Um, well, that was a weird experience. Uh, we were actually cast, all of us, by Joe Layton, mm. who was supposed to direct and choreograph. And about 10 days or two weeks into our rehearsal process, down at the Ukraine, over the Ukrainian National Hall down on 2nd Avenue, where we all smelled like cabbage for, you know, like a whole month. <laughs> Um, we came into rehearsal one day and the, 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 the bad news was that Joe had been injured that night before and, um, we didn't have a director and he was going to be okay, but he'd been badly injured. The story that we got was that he had been in, in someone's loft or had been on a loft and the phone rang and he, he picked it up and went to lean back and fell off the oh off the loft and huh. had a head injury and was, was badly injured. So there we were without a, without a director. And um, Cy Coleman started making phone calls. And one of the calls that he made was to Gene Sachs, who lived in California. He was married to B. Arthur. Yes, right. And I, I was sitting next to Cy when he called and it was, you know, in New York, New York time. And it was early, pretty, really pretty early uh, out there in California. And, and the and size side of the conversation was, hi, uh, Gene, it's, it's Cy. I, oh, oh, sorry, B. <laughs> <laughs> B had a very deep voice, of course, you know. It happens all the time, I'm sure there. <laughs> yeah. She sounded like a man. And so Gene, Gene came in. Uh, actually, Tommy Toon came in, too. And we all wanted Tommy. Oh. We thought he was going to come in and take us over. And uh, it was a very, very difficult period for all of us because, you know, we were only like 10 days into rehearsal. And all of a sudden, we were auditioning what we had for yeah. potential directors. They'd come, come in and we'd start doing this stuff. But, you know, it's... It, it, you're at your most vulnerable 10 days in and to be actually trying to perf- so, so kind of sort of perform it for people when you're not even off book yet. Right. It, was, it was, it was lousy, totally. but Tommy was really sweet and um, 
generous, and we all thought he'd be uh, really great. Gene was not that way. He was very tough and very, um, um, well, I mean, you know. What do you mean, like like cold or just uh, his way or the highway? Or He was not, he was not accessible to us at first. Uh. Because it's a small show. I mean, it's only like there's four of you. The band's on stage. We've talked to John Miller. We've talked. I mean, like it's yeah. it, it's yeah. it can. Yeah, it, it was really hard. And you know that that old adage about if Hitler hadn't killed himself, the only fitting thing to would have been to send him out of town with the musical. You know, yeah. and uh, yeah, and that was kind of the situation. There was a lot of pressure because we had a lot of stuff on the line already. Right. You know, we were in we were in in production. We were in, in rehearsals, and uh, all of a sudden, he's trying to, you know, come up to speed with it. So, in his, I, uh, he, while we were in rehearsal, he, he was not accessible, and it, I I didn't even know if I liked him. But after we got in, uh, got up on the stage, we went we went and we started out in Philadelphia, and we played there for two or three weeks. And once we got up on the stage and he was able to see that we actually had, we were actually pre pretty good. I mean, we, we were actors who knew what we were doing. Um, then he, he was wonderful about giving us notes and I loved his notes. Okay. Uh, but I think also um, he, he wasn't quite sure what he'd signed on for, you know? <laughs> and as, as once we were able to get up on the stage and make it our own, and not be spoon fed, and he didn't have to spoon feed us. We all started to like each other, and there was a mutual respect, and we had a wonderful time. That's great. But it was a, it was a tough tough period. Yeah, for everybody, and we all had uh, been cast by Joe and liked him very much. Mm -hmm. So it was a yeah, it was a weird weird situation. Yeah. Do you remember what you sang for your audition? Did you have a go to song when you were auditioning for musicals? You know. I I was the worst auditioner for musicals in the world, and I auditioned yeah. for a lot of them. I auditioned maybe four or five times for uh, Greece, the original. Of course, yeah, you would have been. You've been I, I auditioned a bunch of times for the Robert Bridegroom, Barry Bostwick, I think, yes. both of those, right? But I also auditioned for Jesus Christ Superstar, <laughs> and, and you know, I never had a pianist. And I, I don't read music, mm -hmm. so I would learn the thing off the record, and then I'd try, go in and try to sing it in whatever that key was, mm -hmm. which was ridiculous. Yeah. And I remember going, then I was inspired, <laughs> now I'm sad and tired, after all I tried for three years, seems like 30. <laughs> you know, and I never was prepared. Yeah. So I would always sing songs that were probably not appropriate or they weren't musical comedy numbers. I remember singing a Chris Christopherson song. <laughs> Take the ribbon from your hair, shake it loose and let it fall. Okay. Lay it soft against my skin like the shadows on a wall. Songs like that. And they'd go, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> or could you learn something else and come back and sing it, you know? <laughs> I auditioned for a, a lot of a lot of musicals, and I, I never did it well. And I oh. always was a wreck going yeah. into do it. But I went and auditioned for City of Angels, mm -hmm. and uh, I walked into the theater. I I sang whatever the two songs were. I think one of them might have been 
uh, I think I think Cy had had me down to, to his office a couple of weeks before that and had me sing a little of You're Nothing Without Me. Uh, yeah. So I sang a couple of songs and then they wanted me to read. And I, I started to read the scene and I messed it up and I stopped and I said, ah, I, I, I screwed this thing up. Could I go back and start again? And this big white haired head loomed out of the darkness. It was Michael Blakemore. Yeah. And he said, yes, yes, go back and start again. But you've got the rhythms. You've got the rhythms. So I started again and um, it went pretty well. And I got back in the cab and back in the bus and back in the train and back in the car. And I drove into my house in Williamstown at about nine o'clock that night. And Pam walked out the door and this never happens to me. And she said, Jimmy, they called. You got the job. <laughs> wow. And, um, you know, there, there were there, there is a rhythm to that stuff that... Yeah. Just one look and you could tell Laura Villiers was a handful. Maybe two if you played your cards right. She had a face you could hang a dream on, a body that made the Venus de Milo look all thumbs. And only the floor kept her legs from going on forever. <laughs> yeah, that's great. God, God bless Larry Gelbart. Larry Gelbart, yeah. yeah. What was that rehearsal process like? A dream? For City of Angels? Yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah. Blakemore's an actor, you know? Yeah. And... um uh, it was very well organized, very well organized. Um, Cy is a perfectionist. And I, um, I used to joke, I'd say, you know, you, you, Cy is a quintessential tunesmith. If you follow Cy, walking, if you're walking down, down the sidewalk in New York City and he's walking in front of you, you can actually see notes coming out of his <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, it, it was just a wonderful time. The, the, the company was very, very talented and mm -hmm. and close mm. we had a wonderful time um greg and i were very are still very good friends mm -hmm. uh i loved Rene bergenois and he died last december yeah. um and the, the the ladies were you know d hody and and uh and uh randy graff singing you can always count on me i mean that it just doesn't get better than that you know? yeah and Kay McClellan was was wonderful, and uh, and a young, very young Rachel York. That's right. Boy, is she talented! So, yeah, we had a wonderful time, and the material was great. And you know, what we we just had a, a little re, a Zoom reunion hmm. uh, a month or two ago. Yeah. We got everybody. Wow. Um, Randy basically set it up. Mizuli, I call her Mizul, <laughs> and uh, and Zippo was on it, and um, Blakemore was on it. Oh, wow. And, and the other guys are gone, unfortunately. Um, but uh, what we didn't know was that the producers were ready to pull the plug on it. They didn't get it. They didn't think we were going to be a successful. And they couldn't believe it when the Times wrote us a love letter because they were ready to shut it down at the end of that week. That week. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. The Schubert's, the Schubert's particularly. Um, yeah, yeah. They just—they didn't get it. You know? Yeah, and I have to credit Michael Blakemore for protecting the company from that new. We had no idea that that was going on. Mm. He was—he took all that pressure on his shoulders, and he never let any of us worry about any of that. And the show was so complex physically, you know, all yeah. the black and white stuff and the and the moving scenes and all that jazz. Huge. That uh, 
we couldn't take it out of town. Yeah. It was too complicated. In fact, we were in a, a, the, the Virginia theater then, and um, you, you, you wouldn't have believed what was going on backstage because the crew had to, to pull these things off, break them down, fly them, get the next thing up. Uh, there wasn't a lot of room back there. And so it was really a kind of a ballet dance for all of us, uh, on both on and off the stage. But boy, what a delight. It was so much fun walking out on the stage every night, you know. That music, so good. Music's incredible. Music was, I used to go down in the pit and uh, count off the the orchestra. Uh, Our conductor, Gordon, would say, Okay, Jimmy, hit it. One, two, three, four. Ba, 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 do, ba. And ba, do, ba, ba. And I, then I'd run upstairs and climb on the gurney, and they'd roll me out. And oh. we had a lot. We had a wonderful time. That that would, it just doesn't get much better than that. It sounds like a party, and then a Tony Award. To yeah. to that's like the yeah. cherry on top of the Sunday. I can imagine. Yeah, the, the whole it was, a, it was just a total delight. Everything yeah. about that was delightful, and we were very very tight company really close. We stayed that way. Mm-hmm. We, had, we hung out together, uh, the company and the musicians and the crew. Mm-hmm. And we all just, we, we'd go to Gallag- Gallagher's every night or like three, four nights a week. Yeah. That's great. I had a, I had a phone in my dressing room. This is before cell phones. Yeah. And, um, uh, time daily was doing gypsy and she, you know, we had phones that are in each other's dressing rooms and we'd call them. What are you doing tonight? Yeah. Okay. Bring bring some guys. I'll meet you at Roses. You know, and we'd all go out afterwards a couple nights a week. And yeah. um, we had a softball team. We we played. We hung out at Gallagher's until God knows what time every night. It was really really a wonderful time. So, so, so incredible. <laughs> when a company can have that. Yeah. 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 Now, and, and by the way, and by the way, Chicago wasn't too shabby a deal either. You know. I that, was, that, that was fun. Can say that, yeah. I mean, that's and still going too. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. When do you, you when do you start a show, and then all these years later, you can say that's the show I started. I mean, I just yeah. And, and the, another of the unknown parts of the Chicago story is, I invested in it. What? I invested in it. You're a smart man. In the beginning, <laughs> and so I'm still getting paid. And for you. <laughs> and then because I was an original investor, they asked me if I wanted to invest in the road company. I went, oh, yeah. So I, the road companies. And then, oh, and we're going to also do a, a, an English company. Oh, yeah, I'm in that one, too. And that ran for 15 years. The yeah. <laughs> so smart. Oh, my God. That's so I don't smart. Do, I mean, I don't, I don't invest in shows. I, I never had before. But that was sort of like, um, we, you know, we did it at uh, Encores. That's yeah. Right. So I had the advantage of ha- having heard and seen the way the audience responded to us. And um, w- when it came around, I just said, you know, if, if ever, there's, uh, yeah. there's no such thing as a sure thing, but this is pretty close. When you were doing the rehearsals for Encores, did you know in rehearsal, like, oh, this is, this is something special? When did that dawn on you? I, uh, our first performance before, before an audience that first number, uh, all that jazz started, and at the end of that number, the audience roared. Mm. I mean, they roared. Ah! You know, that's a sound that you just don't hear very often. Yeah. And uh, so that's when I realized, oh, this is something special. <laughs> and then they, they, they roared after every single number. 
it wasn't just the first number. It was like, and I always thought at the time that, you know, there'd been so many of these lousy shows with, with gimmicks like falling helicopters and, and yeah. chandeliers and all that jazz. And they weren't very distinguished. And um, then all of a sudden there was this kind of, we're, we're just right in your face performers mm-hmm. who, who could really deliver. Mm-hmm. These triple threat actors, singer, dancers, you know, and um, I thought, I think, I thought that, wow, the audience is just, you know, they, they're, they, they're dying to see this kind of, they miss it. This is real performing, real, real razzmatazz, you know. Yeah. And I, I still think that um, people are, you know, appreciative of it for that reason. So is there anything on your bucket list in terms of roles or shows that you would still like to, to check off? I mean, you've done pretty much everything. Have you yes. have you ever played the father in Long Day's Journey in Tonight? That's funny that you should mention that. That's one, that was always the show that if someone asked me this question, this question, I would say, well, I would like to play the old man. Yeah. You know? uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if I want to do it anymore. <laughs> it's a, a, an awful lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> it's epic. It's epic. On, on the other hand, if somebody said to me, we're going to do, do this really, really, really good production and we'd like you to play the old man. I'd have a hard time saying no. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I always, the, the show I always wanted to direct was uh West side story. Oh yeah. Yeah. Why? And, well, I always, I, I never believed it when I saw, I never saw the original production, but I saw the movie when I was a kid and it was like, Oh, when Tony gets here, Tony's gonna, Tony's gonna do it. Tony's gonna be the one he's gonna say. And then Richard Bamer shows up. Mm. And he's like, what? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. You know? And I thought, how cool would it be if, if that show with that score, mm-hmm. you know, if you could actually believe that these guys were, yeah, we're, we're gang members, and you know, yeah. you, you could cast dancers who can do that, oh, yes. who could look like that. You know, I'm curious, James. What is a piece of advice that you would give to your your younger self? Now that you've had this amazing career, you're going back though, talking to the young man who's at Brown, young man at Yale. What would you like them to know that you wished you had known back then, before you started your journey? That's a pretty good question. It's funny, you know, when I was a young actor, uh, I never wanted to be on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't really where I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I've probably, in, in terms of television shows and, and series and things, uh, I've turned down more money than I've made. <laughs> Because I was, you know, I mean, I was spending, I would spend all year trying to make enough money so I could afford to go to Williamstown. Yeah. You know, and do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'd do do anything differently. I mean, the the career that you've had and the versatility and, and, you know, you've been able to tell so many wonderful stories in so many different genres. I mean, that's, uh, that's fulfilling. I would assume, I would assume there wouldn't be a lot of changes. Well, no, I, I mean, as, as I found myself, you know, getting excited about the moment in uh, our town talking to you about that or about what was going on in Long Day's Journey or, you know, the working on the comedy with Mike uh, and Elaine. Yeah. Um, being on stage with her was really, really wonderful. I, I've said this before, I guess. Uh, they call us the players. Mm-hmm. 
because at, at our best, it's like we play together. Yeah. You know, it, it's sort of like dancing. You, right. you got to be able, you got to have somebody who can give and take and, you know, you can't have, you can't be out there being rigid yeah. or, or always leading. You have to, you know what I mean? Right. So um, that's been the really, that's been the fun of it. Yeah. Nothing, nothing better. James, this has been such an absolute pleasure. I can't tell you how much we appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us. Well, thank you. It should be painting the shit. I have to go well, back. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's ready for a second coat now. James, thanks so much. My Enjoy pleasure, your day. Good luck painting. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And a big thanks to the punchy players, Jeff Marquis, who is bringing back Lucy, Betty, Judy, and Morda shill for us. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you come in. In order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us just one star and you can make us feel as baddie, baddie, bad as Annie did in that really weird production in Boston where Annie dreamt that she was being adopted, but then she ended up back we're in the orphanage right back where she started yeah true story rob saw it yes and it was batty it was bizarre i was there i was oh god so head on over to itunes and make us feel even more special than we already do Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, this is Dr. Laurie Santos. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. We believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can build a more connected community Neighbor to neighbor, it takes a neighborhood.